Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I am your host, Denise Griffiths. And this podcast is ranked in the top 2% of the most popular podcasts in the world. And it's all because of my incredible guests. And I feel incredibly fortunate to spend time with people who come to the show. They're at the top of their game and they are passionate about helping you achieve your goals in both your personal and your professional life. And my guests hold nothing back. They're here to share the secrets of peak performance with us. And I know you'll find their insights both inspiring and actionable. So sit back, relax, and get ready to take your life and your business to the next level. So today, Tom Binder joins us to share seven actions an artist can take to ensure their legacy. It's not something you often think about, is it, unless you're an artist? So Tom owns Tom Binder Fine Arts and Artman.net, and he specializes in coordinating licensing opportunities for artists sorry, I'm losing my voice already, to make their work accessible and available to the public. So with over 37 years of experience in the fine art market, Tom has worked with some great artists, including Alexander Chin, Ken Shotwell, and his late mother, Elaine Binder. And in this podcast, we're going to explore his journey from a child, watching his mother create art, to a successful business owner in the art industry. Tom, welcome to your partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Legacy of artists. Hello, Denise. Can you hear me now? I can. I can hear you again. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we've had a few little hiccups already, but let's persevere and see what's going to happen. So I know you, you know, from several different places, and we've chatted back and forth, and we're friends of a sort. I mean, we're getting to know each other. So tell me a bit about you. Tell me why you start, why you're doing what you're doing. Because honestly, it never occurred to me that artists need to ensure their legacy. Just, it wouldn't. I'm not an artist. So I think this is going to be a very fascinating conversation. Well, it's interesting because ensuring legacy is actually appropriate for everybody. But we're going to discuss artists in particular, professional artists that have a business that want to ensure their imagery continues and their inventory is sold. I think one of the biggest things for me, because my mother was an artist, is what happens when an artist passes away? Who takes over the inventory? Who manages the licensing? Uh, How do you sell the artwork? What do you do? How do you even know what pieces you have? Which is is an interesting concept in itself. So I grew up with my mother as being an artist. And so I've been in the, indirectly in the art business for 60 plus years. Uh, but in the last 37 years, I've been working with artists directly to publish their artwork, to distribute to galleries, to uh, other businesses. And it's interesting over those years, 
that the, I actually grew up with these artists, and now they're at a point, some of them are at a point to decide, well, okay, I'm sort of at the end of my career. Now what's the next move? How do I transfer my whole library to a next generation, to maybe a partner or, or, or uh, a son or daughter? So that, that's a big issue. And it's a complicated issue. It takes a lot of time. It's overwhelming, actually. Uh, and I can tell you from firsthand experience that I'm overwhelmed. I did this with my sister, and we're both overwhelmed, even though we grew up in this whole process. So the, the process involves creating a mission statement, really. That's, and that should, be, that should be done early on, a vision, a mission statement, what are your goals, values, aspirations, uh, your, your, the style of, of art, um, artistic style, inspirations, uh, audience, your avatar, all of these things that are necessary for you as an artist ongoing, but also even more important as your legacy is carried on forward so somebody knows where, how to position the artist moving forward. So the, the, the vision and the mission statement – Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, I find this fascinating because basically I'm a marketer, so I'm thinking in marketing terms, but I'm thinking that people who are artists and they want to get known, but more than that, they want to be sure that their, their work is safe, that it's handed to the right people, whether it's a museum, whether it's family, whatever is going to happen to it. But it's also a marketing issue, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And as we go through a transition now, it's really fascinating because we had this NFT craze, which would was supposed to help the artists in creating some uh, substance to their imagery. Uh, that's faded in one respect, and we'll just deal with the NFT market. I see the NFT market as a way to give credence or provenance, a digital certificate to artwork. And that's, and that's really part of the pro process of legacy because if you have digital certificates, you can pass those on very easily. Complicated. It takes a lot of time and effort to do it. Is it worth it in the end? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you don't need it, but maybe you do. Uh, if it, as it gets easier to do these digital certificates to attach them to the pieces of artwork, I think more artists will do that, and, and especially when they want to pass their artwork on. But what's really, really important, Denise, and probably out of the seven things, this may be number one, uh, and we have seven things that are not necessarily in order, but sort of uh, the inventory of the artwork, that is crucial. Again, these are things that apply to uh, artists that are just starting their work, an emerging artist or artists at the end of the career. Inventory is so critical, and that includes making sure that they have inventory numbers with each piece of artwork, their titles, the size, the medium, their edition numbers, the provenance. Inventory, creating an inventory is number one. Now, where do you put this inventory? You can put it on Excel sheet. There are inventory programs that are free out there, standalone programs. Uh, You've you got to find a place. You can handwrite them. Uh, a lot of it is handwritten. That's fine. Have an inventory program. 
I'm stressing the inventory number because it's really easy to go back and attach a number to a piece of artwork, whether it's on the back of an original, whether it's uh, on the package of the, uh, the artwork, because we're talking about originals, we're talking about graphics, we're talking about sketches and drawings. All of these are studies. All of these things have to be inventoried. Or if they're not, they just get passed on or thrown out. I, I know in my mother's case, we have a lot of things. We, we knew we had to do this. We didn't really do it that officially until the end, but uh, we, we didn't attach uh, some titles. So my sister and I are going through this process of uh, coming up with titles that may or may not have been the original titles, which we have to do. Uh, the mediums are pretty easy. Uh, provenance, there's some there's some uh, issues with uh, who owned it previously and things. Uh, so that's the inventory. Okay, so then you've got to archive it. And you got to, so that, again, we're talking about, so this sort of goes hand in hand with the inventory is where do you put this information? Where, where is it? Is it on digital file? Is it, a, is it a handwritten? Um, does, does, the archive, does the actual hardcore inventory, remember, there's two things here. There's the inventory itself, and there's the digital files of the inventory. There's scans of the inventory. And in some ways, that is as, as or maybe even more important than the artwork itself because there's, the artwork is kind of limited. Uh, the inventory, a lot of it has been sold from, for professional artists. But the imagery itself doesn't, it doesn't disappear. So, so if an artist creates a, an imagery, an image, a piece of artwork, that should be digitized and that should be stored somewhere. Uh, so that's the, the digital imagery, and then there we talked about the uh, hardcore inventory. And then where does the stuff, where do you put the physical inventory? Uh, as an artist, where do you put it? Where do you store it? Um, when it moves on, where does it go? Does it go to family? Does it go to a museum, a gallery? Is it sold ahead of time? Uh, do, do, does the, do the uh, children, and I say children because that's really where most of this stuff go, goes or uh, the spouse, do they take control of the physical inventory? Do they try to sell it? Uh, I know in my situation, my mom had a lot of originals, and my sister and I decided, well, let's keep the originals and sell any reproductions of the work. Uh, that's a choice that has to be made. Then the, uh, the next thing is, after you archive the artwork, is you got to build a strong network. And that network I'll start with the social media because that comes up. You have to have a strong social media network, both as an active living artist and also to pass it on. And, and just as important as to pass it on because the, the trustees of the estate need to know how to deal with this social media. So that's a whole other issue with the estate planning. But the network includes it has to include everybody you've done business with, the galleries, museums, other institutions, collectors. Uh, you have to have a network of uh, an attorney, a state planning attorney, a tax accountant. All of these networks have to be established ahead of time. So it's, it's just a turnkey operation when you move on uh, as well as when you're alive and creating. So that's really important. Uh, <laughs> have an estate plan. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to jump to the digital estate because that, that is something that uh, is really important. So you have all these social medias, you have all these contacts, you have all these passwords. They have to be transferred. 
So how do you transfer this digital state? Do you use LastPass or, or an Excel program, handwriting, uh, handwritten uh, sheets of your passwords? That's really important. Um, all of the okay, above. So I've seen it all. You've seen it all, yeah. And, again, this applies to artists, professional artists, and everybody in general, everybody on walking on the planet has in a digital state that needs to be passed on. I was, uh, I was wondering about my, my uh, presence or, you know, for each, like what happens with your uh, Instagram account? What happens with your Facebook and, and uh, LinkedIn? What happens with your LinkedIn account? Uh, who, who manages it? Who takes it over? Does it disappear? Do, I did a LinkedIn for my mom. Do, do, do you announce that the person has passed on? Does, it, does LinkedIn take it away? I, some of these things I don't know myself, but they have to be addressed. What happens to your digital estate? Uh, well, I know okay, on, so Facebook, now, of course, on, on Facebook you can assign somebody to you know, take it over, keep it alive, do whatever they want, but they have access to it. I, like you, I don't know about LinkedIn. That's a good question. Well, I looked into LinkedIn a bit, and you can assign it, but there, it gets a little complicated when you have businesses attached to it. Um, I, you can assign the businesses. That, that's a little bit easier than assigning your own personal profile. Um, but here's the wonderful thing about LinkedIn. Oh, man. LinkedIn allows you to download everything. There's a way to do it. You download all your connections, all your posts. Everything that is up on LinkedIn gets downloaded. So in a sense, even if LinkedIn takes you off or if you have to change it, you can upload it somewhere else and maybe on a website. Um, so that, that's uh, an issue that has to be resolved is how are you going to continue some of these social media profiles uh, and each one will – it's going to change over time. Another 10 years will be a different way to handle it. Um, maybe LinkedIn won't be. Maybe there maybe will be one master social media program that you store everything and that passes on. Uh, estate plan. Are you going to have a, a living will? You need a living will. You, you, you need to uh, have an advanced directive. Again, this applies to everybody, or a health care directive. Um, maybe you need a revocable trust. You need a trust attorney. You need a, uh, a trustee, an executor. All of these things have to be appointed ahead of time, and that goes into the next thing. The executor, who's going to handle, who's going to handle things? What, are your kids going to handle it? Are you going to give it a gallery? Is the publisher going to handle it? Do they have the right to sign in your name on your pieces as an estate signed pieces? Uh, how's it split? The, the more specific you can be in these situations, the easier and better it is for uh, your descendants. It, it, it's so important and, and uh, to make sure these documents are legal because you run into a problem where uh, something with where they, 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 and I'll say children because that's one the, the thing that I'm most comfortable or most familiar with is where, how does it, how does the revenue get split? Who handles what? Um, who owns what? These, these are things that must be decided ahead of time. The more, you, the more energy you put in now, the less conflict arises later on. The easier it is for, uh, the descendants to, to deal with everything, and there's a master plan. It's just like a living will. This is what happens when I pass on. 
and you can you list it, you put it in your your state plan, and, and that's it. Of course, you need a will if you don't have a revocable trust. So that's that's very important. Again, the the uh, trustee and the executor are important, and then then the other final number seven, and there, and there are more, but this is a very interesting thing. Okay, so let's say you don't have children or, or a spouse. Are, are you going to donate your artwork to a foundation, a trust, a fellowship? Is there a way to get a tax advantage if you do a, ch- a charitable remainder trust ahead of time? Of course, you have to talk to a tax accountant, but maybe there is a way to do- donate it and to take the, uh, some tax advantages. Artists don't get as, much, as many tax advantages when they donate their artwork. In some situations, they only get the cost of the materials that go into the art. So that's something that has to be considered uh, and it has to be established ahead of time. It's nice to have a, an educational um, facility, a college, to take on the artwork if you are not going to sell it or pass it on. Uh, and that's something that has to be started very early on, these fellowships of trust. So those are seven things that but I did, think are important. Yeah, they sound ahead, important across the board. Did did we miss the part about how to choose an executor and trustee? So I was scribbling notes, but I don't think I I wrote that one down. Uh, you know that's a that that is a fantastic question. Um, how do you choose? Well, I guess the first this goes hand in hand with your estate plan. Um, in our in my mom's situation, she chose my sister and I. Uh, you can show, choose a paid executor, and that could be inexpensive to the estate. Uh, you can choose a family member. It, it, uh, you can choose a gallery or maybe your uh, publisher. It could be a publisher. It could be your, your, uh, an art manager, an art rep, an art agent that you've dealt with over time that has the ability to take on the whole massive collection. Uh, such as War, the Warhol Foundation or even um, Jackson Pollock had his wife create a foundation to take it over. So you, you can be very elaborate, extensive. I would say match it with your estate plan, make it as simple as possible and as least expensive as possible. If you're, if it's a professional artist that's already that already has an, a, a relationship with an agent, gallery representative, that might be the way to go, and probably the easiest way to go, because um, they're already selling the artwork, and it's a little easier than having to deal with uh, somebody that does, isn't familiar with the artwork. So that's a, a decision that has to be made, uh, and. Yeah, I want to go back to the licensing because it's a really interesting thing. Uh, in the music business, a lot of the, uh, the artists are now selling their, their library, their licensing library ahead of their passing. And that might be an option for artists too, a, a, a popular artist, a commercial artist, a successful artist, to, to sell all their licensing rights before they pass on so that once – they are gone, it's a little easier for the family to collect revenue as opposed to setting up an operation. I'll give me an example. I love this one. Is Jimi Hendrix. He uh, passed on his estate to his brother, I believe. 
And I don't think his brother was able to manage the estate as well as, let's say, Columbia or Sony or one of the big companies would have would have done. It's it's an opinion, but it was definitely a choice that he made to pass it on. And I believe it was made before he passed on, but maybe not because he he died so young. Um, so yes, you have to make a decision of who who's going to manage it. And if you already have a relationship, that's probably the best way to go. Um, and the easiest way to go to continue that relationship with whoever is dealing with the art at, at presently. And if you don't have that relationship, then be as specific with who is going to, to deal with it and uh, make sure that everybody that is going to deal with it knows that they're going to deal with it and wants, wants to deal with it. Some people don't. So even though so this they is inherit. Fascinating. I mean, I, these are things yeah. that I think of for other industries, my own included. It just never occurred to me that artists fall into creatives, and I am one, you are one. It just, I don't know how I missed that. Well, it's overwhelming. I mean, we just scratched the surface here. But to actually do this, you start to do it, and you might not even pass to create the vision and the mission statement because it takes a lot of work. This, is not, this isn't something that can be done in an afternoon. This is almost a lifetime. It takes a lifetime to create a lot of this. And that's why uh, if you start too late, you got a lot more work. But if you start initially as an emerging artist, then this process just goes along with the creativity of the artwork. And as you just said, this applies basically to everybody in one form or another to, to, to be aware of what's going on at, at some future point. Uh, it, it really does. You know, I guess I, 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 <laughs> I, this, as you get older, you kind of you can relate to this a little easier, but it's a little bit morbid. But we're all going to die, so <laughs> I'm sorry, it's too morbid. But um, but the better plan. Not really. We have for None that, of us get out of here alive. I, I, you know, I could maybe maybe Walt Disney's Frozen is in the base of Disneyland somewhere, but. He's the only one I could think of that may may not have died, um, but basically everybody else. So why not start planning early on? You don't think of these things when you're young, um, but it's easier to do, especially if you're an artist, to, to to have this vision, I guess, of the continuum of your creative process into other families. And and this, as you said earlier, this goes for authors, uh, it goes for musicians, and all creatives have. A, a library, an inventory of things that need to be passed on. And, and um, there is an issue, though. If you don't do anything, it happens also. And uh, 70 years later, in, in different uh, year amounts, uh, your copyrights disappear. So it's not as important. But um, you still have the inventory. And uh, I think that that having the inventory, the physical inventory, is really important because it takes up space and it, 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 crowds, it crowds your life. So you need to really know what to do with the physical inventory before the digital, although it's just as important because there's a, probably more value in the digital inventory 
than the physical inventory, but the physical inventory takes up space, and that has to be dealt with. Who's going to physically take care of it, and where is it going to be stored, and who gets and who gets the revenue to share the revenue when it's sold, and, and should you sell it, and where does it go uh, if you don't want to sell it? These are questions that have to be asked ahead of time. They have to be discussed with family members or, or dealers or agents. Tom, I have to ask. I mean, you're, you've mentioned a couple of times the, the issues with storing art, and I have to tell you, I don't understand why anybody would spend most of their life creating art to store it. Isn't it meant to be seen and shared? Great question. Well, it is, but sometimes it's, it's, you have to find the place to give it, to donate it. Yeah, uh, uh, educational facility, college, fellowship, a, donate, uh, a, a trust. It has to physically go somewhere. Maybe it goes to the kids, and maybe they split it up uh, and put it on their own walls. Or uh, maybe they don't have the space. So do you, do you put it in storage and then try to sell it? That's where all of this planning comes into, into play. If you, have, if you can't hang it on the walls and you have nobody and there's nobody to take it, you do have to store it. And, and then if you're storing it, you don't want to pay for storage. So uh, it has to be sold. Uh, a lot of times uh, it, I have one artist friend and he started throwing out his artwork. Uh, oh, which, ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Because there was nobody, there's nobody to take it or it's, it's too, uh, too complicated, or uh, well, you art know, is subjective. Um, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I find most art just beyond my comprehension. I know what I like, and I know artists hate that. But I know what I like, and I know what I really don't like. And don't tell me white on white is art. It's not. I don't care what anybody says. Okay. Uh, how about red on white? I'm not going to buy it, but no. I mean, I've seen articles about these huge, huge installations where it's just white. It's like, really? I could have gone to the Home Depot and picked up some paint chips for that. There's a lot of it I just don't understand. So my point is, it's, it is very subjective. So if you can't find a home for your art, what then? What then? Right. Um, and you, you, you don't want to be at the end of your career trying to look for a place. You want to be early on and, and to have uh, avenues to where you, you can actually donate it or, or, um, or it's taken by a foundation. Or probably in the best case scenario, although this is something I, I, in my particular situation, I'm not sure if I would have wanted, but as you establish yourself as an artist, a professional artist, you're selling your artwork, you sell pretty much your inventory before you pass on. And then what you do pass on is the digital inventory, which then has uh, no physical uh, space. Gotcha. So, well, that makes it's sense. Sort of, it's, it's sort of like uh, where you want to, um, you want to have enough money your whole life so that the last check you write bounces. <laughs> I think I've heard that before, but it kind of makes sense. Yeah, so, it's sort of like the same thing. You want to have you want to have success as an artist, so that you sell 
you you build an inventory, but you sell it, and so when you pass, you have nothing except the digital file. That would, in my sense, that would be an ideal scenario, and that the people, your loved ones along the way, have collected pieces that they want. They have it. There's a home, but in the end, there's no physical inventory, uh, and that's sense. a lot easier on everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. You were talking earlier about, you know. Take, how do you, you make sure that people understand this is your work? Have you ever heard of, she's a primitive artist, she's been long gone, Clementine Hunter, Louisiana? She was a, a plant. Yeah. Name is not familiar, but t- t- tell me yeah. about her. Look up Clementine Hunter. She was a freed slave in one of the plantations here in, in Louisiana, and her artwork is very primitive, and it is very much in demand, and it is absolutely forged all the stinking time. I had a, a store at one point. It was an antique store and a jewelry store combined, believe it or not. And I had a guy come in, and he, he kept insisting that she was his auntie, and I knew that she had died three days earlier. Apparently, he didn't know it. But he handed me, he wanted me to buy this little small piece of art that was still wet, and I said, you know, she's dead. No, she's not. Yes, she is. Go away. And she got somebody around her got smart enough towards the end of her life to always take a picture of her with the piece of art. That's how, that's the only way they could prevent forgeries being sold. Not that it really worked, but you know, you know, she tried. They did. Somebody around her was smart enough to try. Denise, you bring up a phenomenal point. And I, actually, I'm looking at her work now, and I can see that it can be forged. And oh yeah, so I could do it. Very, I'm, and I'm no artist. I mean, it, well, it's very, very primitive. Well, <laughs> it's very primitive. Um, so you're absolutely 100% correct. You take pictures of the artwork, of the signature. This is the provenance. This is this is the documentation that's needed on every piece. Because such as Picasso, there's so many, well, not so many fakes, but there, there's a whole team of authenticity of, of experts that authentic, authenticate the work, and that that is part of the trustee or the estate to be the one that you take the art to, you send it to, and you say, was this created by this artist, and and those people or that person can look at it and say, yeah, this was because they look at their their uh, the tirages or uh, the, the catalogs, and they and they can see easily. So, having the provenance, having all these pieces cataloged, is so important. And I'm I'm very happy that you brought that up because that can almost be pushed to number one. And um, once an artist dies, it's so easy to to fake if you don't have this uh, network of people that can authenticate the artwork. And it's much easier to done if if there's a Inventory number attached to each piece on these originals. Their inventory numbers written down. The pictures, as you say, with the artist is the perfect thing, or just a digital file of that particular art with the signature, mm-hmm. uh, uh, unframed. All of these things that uh, can document and authenticate the artwork, so that it makes it that much easier than when somebody comes into a gallery. It's not in this catalog resume. You go, well, I don't know. I mean, it's not in the catalog resume. Everything's in the catalog resume. This piece isn't. I don't think this is authentic. I don't. Yeah, it's made, it makes it that much easier for those people 
that dealing with the art in the future, and it could be 100 years later, 200 or whatever, that they can go back to this catalog resume with all the information that the artist created before they passed away uh, and then authenticate the pieces moving forward. So that's a great point, and that's something that has to be done, uh, has to be done when you're alive as well. They, they, all I would things, think so. Uh, all of these things have to be done before the end, of course. But the earlier on that they can be done or as they're being done, as a piece is created, then the provenance is created for every piece, documented with everything. So there's no possibility uh, of, of forgery moving on. And I think that's Set a up a video camera all. while you're working. It's easy these days to document everything that you're doing. Everything. And, and, and that's a, another great point. Um, I have an artist I work with, and uh, he sends me pictures as he's going through the process. And the collectors love to see this. They love to see the process of building the piece to the end. So you're absolutely right. A, a time-elapsed photography our video is is important for the legacy, and it's important for the collectors currently. So thank you for bringing that up because that's that's something that is is it's an added benefit to creating legacy is the uh, current interest of the piece to to the collectors by seeing these videos that are created as the artist goes through the process. Yeah, and you said something very important there that. You know, the the collectors like to be part of the process or follow along. It's almost like you're inviting them into your artistic brain, which has never happened before. It was It was never available. Yes. I mean, you, you could really go deep in that, in, in all the different mediums. And then just think about as in 100 years, hopefully they'll have, you know, <laughs> they'll have computers that they'll have to be able to transfer the files, but... Uh, but to understand, could you imagine to, to understand the workings of Picasso for each piece that he said, hey, this is how I created, or Van Gogh said, hey, I was in this mood or that mood, or you saw the process of him going through it. How wonderful that would be for some of these great master artists in the past to have to, to be, as you say, part of the process or at least understand the process of the creation of the art. And that's why there are so many people who will study the Mona Lisa, which I've never understood. Um, I don't get her expression at all. I'm not, I, mm. I don't know about me and art. Apparently, I don't really much appreciate it, which is a shame. I know what I like. <laughs> that's just all I can well, say. I'm a Philistine. But, you know, people will sit for hours and hours and days, months, and try to recreate that portrait. And sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. But they're so fascinated with how it got made. Yes. It was the Mona Lisa, a man or a woman. I mean, that, that comes I up know. too. And, 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 uh, and is it painted on top of something else? Nobody knows. Yes. And, and so you have all of these technical uh, abilities as we move on and through the ages, now you could put it under ultraviolet light and see other layers that were there, and eventually there'll be ways to assess the, the, the first colors that were put down and to, to analyze it. And, and I want to go back, though, to something, because this is a little off legacy, but something you said. You know what you like. If you know what you like, then you know what you like. If you don't know right. what you like, then, 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 you're, then it's a little tough. But you know, or you know what you know, right? So 
as a collector, as a uh, art appreciate uh, aficionado, you you start to build a collection based on what you like. And really, and we're going into this direction of art in general, but I think it's part of the same process. If you know what you like, then you like what you know, and you start hanging it, and you start and you start to investigate it. So, if somebody says, "This has always been my premise here," oh, buy this art because it's good, it's a great artist, and it's going to be worth it. That is the absolute wrong way of getting into the collecting. That, that could be there could be no worse way because you're going to look at this piece you're not going to like it and not only not, so you're not going to like it you may not even hang it and then you're waiting for it to appreciate and they never appreciate and so not only do you not appreciate the appreciating art but you start to resent it so uh, you, it's it's a win win when you 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 collect what you like. And uh, I want to go back to what you said about the artist process, because if you get to experience the artist directly or indirectly, that adds so much value to the appreciation of the artwork. Uh, it, 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 it's really critical to, um, to have that relationship. In fact, what we do, uh, we've done a lot of uh, VIP cruises and events where the artists come on board to these events and the collectors get to spend uh, some quality time with the artist to really understand where the artist is coming from, uh, their, their, their likes, their wants, their history. It, it's such a great experience to collect art when you know the artist or you, you can understand the process. And I don't know how that fits into the legacy, but it's all part of building the brand and, and uh, this understanding an artist in a lifetime so that eventually the artist can be appreciated uh, in the future. Well, they're getting their voice heard, and their voice is their art. Their voice is their art. And somebody that's dedicated to their voice more so than dedicated to creating the artwork for a revenue gets to really, really go deep in their styles and their inspirations. Uh, an artist that paints from their heart is a very can be very successful. Right here in, in Louisiana, we have the blue dog. I don't know if you've ever heard of the blue oh, the dog. Blue dog. That's the yeah, blue yeah. dog. That's Louisiana. Oh, oh, oh it's in Lafayette. It's, it's not too far down the road from me. And uh, you know, I I like the Julie Blonde one, but the rest of them, yeah, it's just a blue dog. I don't really care. But I have been in restaurants you know, around town and thought those blue dogs and he's been gone for quite a long while now those dogs are still all over the place they're very very popular yeah what makes it what i can't believe that you're 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 the, the heart of the blue dog um not too right down I, the road I, i'm I, serious uh I, I i don't know but um it's part of the process of collecting so you get one blue dog and it appeals to you and then you get another one to go, go, go with that. And it, it, so you get involved and I guess it's, it's a process. It's understanding it. Yeah. You know, so the more you understand the blue dog concept, the better you are uh, in, in, in knowing what you're collecting and, Right, and I met him several times, and I heard the story about the blue dog. I still never would buy one. It's just not my thing, but I can appreciate 
the passion that he had for this particular form of art. What's the story behind the blue dog? You know, it's been a while. I'd have to go look it up now because he has been gone for quite a long time, but I think it was one of his pets, and he just loved this dog. And I, I could be dead wrong. I really can't remember because, like I say, it's been a long time. Um, I think he passed away about 20 years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Nice 20 guy. years ago? Really? I think really? so. Oh, that's it. Yeah, he is. Well, you know, I, I'm looking it up. You go look at, yeah, go look and, it up for me. And, and, and what's really, really fascinating is that what comes up is state stamp blue dog prints. So this is kind of exactly what we're talking about. That after he and that's why I brought on, it up because could, he's done exactly what you look. He was a very savvy businessman, very savvy. So, so, and this has happened in in in, in, in situations. Is that the? This is exactly what we're talking about. So the estate decides to go ahead and print these pieces. How do you how do you give it some value? instead of just unlimited pieces. So they, they stamp it with the estate signature, which could and should be determined ahead of time. And then, um, then you have some type of limited edition, which, which can add value. And, and, the, and yeah, it's debatable whether it's real value or not, but it, it does give it some, some distinction and limitation. Uh, but that has to be established ahead of time. I, I believe that the estate stamp, how are you going to estate stamp the art afterwards? So in my particular situation with my mother and I, we did have a discussion with my mother, and uh, she said you, you, could just, you could sign it. Uh, I forget what she said. She said you could sign it for me. You could sign it for me. That doesn't mean we signed her name and it's, you know, it's fully disclosed that these are state-signed pieces, and that's really, really important because it can get tricky and uh, deceitful if it's not disclosed, and not just secretly disclosed, but very obvious to the consumer, the collector, that these are pieces that were done after the artist passed away. Right. Uh, but before – before the artist passed away, and I'm going to try to look this up as we talk, that, that it should be established how how these pieces are going to be signed after after say oh he died you're right he died ten years ago exactly December third uh, yeah 2013. and I thought it was yeah huh who knew I forgot totally about this um, did he live a long life uh, sixty nine now some of the artists live very long which is great they create right to the last to the last moment. Um, I wonder, uh, oh, he had a foundation. Uh, oh, he found, formed a foundation, nonprofit that advocates the importance of visual arts in children's development. You see, that's a great example of what you do in your lifetime. You create a foundation. He had a vision. So that, that foundation, he, he had a vision, he had a, yes. He wasn't just an artist. He had a big, big vision. Yeah, I don't. His art is not my style. It just never was, although I see it here, there, and everywhere. I always appreciate it because I knew what he was all about, you know, that he really he loved his art. He certainly loved Cajun country. He was born in, you know, right here, and, I mean, he's everywhere. But he had a plan and he had a vision, and I think that's what you're talking about. Absolutely. 
I, I'm, I'm very happy you brought this up because he did establish a foundation for a profit organization. They um, support visual arts and children's development. Um, so, so he created a lifetime foundation, um, and also this foundation is currently uh, has programs, including art scholarships and contests, and it can be funded. This is, this is the beauty of this. If it's planned ahead of time, it can be funded by the creation of the artwork after the death of the artist through, as we just discussed, these, these estate prints, which are funding this organization to help support these, uh, the, the children programs or scholarship programs for children. It's, it's just a beautiful thing. So these are things that if you do it ahead of time, they live on forever. These foundations, the Warhol Foundation lives on forever. Uh, so I, I think if you're an artist, a successful artist, and what's a successful artist? That, that's up for debate. But if you have a revenue stream, creating a foundation which will continue the stream of revenue to support causes is a wonderful thing. It, it really almost is the ideal scenario because that foundation takes care of everything. They take care of all the digital um, storage and the uh, files and the artwork themselves, and they can sell it to, to um, support the programs that they have. Exactly. And he's got a museum. I don't know if it's his museum. It's by Utash Museum. It's in New Iberia, again, just down the road. And they present a recreation of his Carmel, California studio space, complete with artist easel and unfinished painting and the plywood floor. He did a mm. terrific job of keeping his work and his passion for Cajun country alive. He's very passionate about it. It shows. A great example of a legacy. Exactly. And I wasn't thinking of him when I knew we were going to get on this call. I don't know why, because he's blue dog. He's everywhere. I guess you know, familiarity breeds contempt. You just It's like, oh, yeah, hey, how are you doing? But I did think of Clementine Hunter because of the experience that I had with her alleged nephew. Wait, so her alleged nephew, so he said he was a nephew, and he tried to sell artwork that he claimed – she just did, even though she passed away. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and it was sticky. It was still wet. She was dead. So somebody was lying. Well, and so you 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 have these people you go to. Now you you were an expert at that point. You were an expert in this. You knew you knew she died. You looked at the piece of artwork. It was wet. You didn't trust the guy that was selling it. Um, so you were the you were the go-to person. Um, oh, I booted situation. him out. But I've seen a lot of her work, you know, because it's in this one plantation where she lived. It's all over the place. So I'm very familiar with her work. Well, so you, you bring up another point, um, or indirectly, is the appraisal, the value. We really didn't talk about this, but we, we should. Um, there, there has to be a value established to the artwork. Uh, during the lifetime of an artist, if the artist is selling it. And the more values that are established ahead of time, precedence, um, appraisals are done, the easier it is then 
to pass it on uh, or, or to, to, I guess, sell. What are you basing the value in the future is you base it on the past. As you have some appraisal value of the current market, it's easier to, to move forward to the sales in the future. So having artwork appraised through auction, and we're talking about uh, professional artists, but it could, be, it could be any gallery shows or to, to, to have pricing set to these pieces of artwork as an emerging or living artist and then onward as a deceased artist. Very, very important uh, to have pricing attached to it uh, or at least a fair market price. What well, a willing yeah. buyer and a willing seller would pay for it, uh, and, and that helps a lot, and that's really important. And where would we put that? We would put that under inventory of artwork. We'd add pricing to it. Um, that's important. I'm just writing that down because I left that out. Um, okay, I went back um, to Clementine gonna... Hunter. I was again, I was wrong. She was descended from slaves, but she created. Uh, 5,000 to 10,000 paintings in her lifetime. Talk about an inventory. (laughs) She died in 88. So uh, uh, what happened to her inventory? Who got it? I honestly don't know. If I have to guess, she was... She was born um, born and raised, I believe, in Melrose Plantation. They may still have... I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, she might have had a dealer, and the dealer took the inventory, an art uh, dealer and an agent, a uh, gallery. Uh, I'm seeing here that there were a lot of forgeries. Um, oh, yeah. I've met one. Kind of problem. Yeah, it was a problem, forgeries. So the, the more an artist can do in their lifetime to prevent forgeries in the future by documentation, as we talked about earlier, the better it is all around. Uh, because the value diminishes dramatically when there are forgeries on the market. It just confuses everybody. Uh, and as we spoke earlier, with these catalog resumes that are documented very well, it prevents forgeries. Or it doesn't prevent forgeries, but it, it, it prevents it, – it aids in appraising pieces that may have been forged. Uh, exactly. That, that, it, and that happens – that has to happen at the time the piece is created, really, to document the piece. It's, it's almost too late as you move forward because if an artist is creating, uh, like uh, the woman you mentioned, if she's creating this massive amount of work, it becomes uh, impossible to go back and document everything. Um, I'm trying to look oh, – 25 cents – much 25 cents to look at. Wow. Denise, thank you. You brought up some two two great cases here. Um, I'm I'm fascinated by forgeries. Yeah, and it's a deep south. Uh, We have an awful lot of art here. I mean, it's just, I will often see hanging on the wall of a restaurant or, you know, just anywhere you go, a passepartout. I don't think you know what a passepartout is, but it's the big two-man saw. It's a huge saw. You've got a man on either end, and you're sawing down trees. It's passepartout. And you see those all over the place, and they've been painted in the style of Clementine Hunter. It's very yeah. common. 
in the style, yeah, because she she does have that naive style, so it's a little easy easier to do. Um, and that happens too. It's, I deal with some artists; it's very hard to duplicate. But but there has to be an expert. And so, in the artists that I deal with, I consider myself an expert. And if somebody brought me a piece of artwork by the artist I deal with, I could tell them very quickly whether it was uh, whether it's authentic or not. Uh, and those experts are attached to some of the masters uh, over time. They get passed down. Maybe it's a, a child or um, offspring or, or um, a relative. They become experts in that particular thing and then uh, the, with that particular artist. And then if somebody has an issue with a piece, they send in a photograph. They might even send the original to these experts. They're designated expert, and uh, they can usually charge, but they can tell you whether it's real or not. But when there's oh, a God. mass amount of artwork, it, it becomes, it, it, it's, it's impossible. Uh, it, the um, catalog resumes are really helpful, and they just list everything that the artist has done in a particular order or, or, or a medium or whatever. Uh, and you, that's the go-to book, usually. Uh, and that could be done very easily. It doesn't have to be a book. It could, it could almost be on social media. It could be a website. It could be a WordPress document. Uh, where if somebody had a question, they go to the document and can easily determine whether what they're buying is real or not, or they send it to a gallery or appraiser or the expert. Um, so those well, are that makes sense. Too. And it's easy to do. Tom, I want, we're, man, we're about five minutes. It went fast. You talked about NFTs earlier, but I wanted to go down another rabbit hole, which is now AI-produced art. How is that impacting you? <laughs> Your artist. <laughs> well, first of all, I like rabbit holes. My favorite animal is a rabbit. We had a rabbit for many years. So how is that impacting it? Well, it's fascinating because there could be AI artists which develop their own style based on previous, based on the history of art. So you could produce a piece that was based on all the artists that ever came or were digitized. And does that become your own art? When you create I, something, I don't that, think or, anybody knows just yet. I think that's the big question: Is it yours? Can you copyright it? Can you sell it? What in the heck is going on with it? And it's based on previous artwork. It's based on mm-hmm. so that's a great that, that is like on the top front of every issue. It's sort of the way it was with digital art when you um, digital artists. It, it, is there any value in an artist that creates an imagery? Um, with Photoshop, does that have any value? Um, does, a, does a piece of artwork that is based on others that came before that artist have any value? Uh, and I guess we'll find out. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah, well, this, this is a whole new industry for your attorneys, I can tell you right well, now. They're all going, ooh. It's a whole other, yeah, just like everything. The thing is, this is what I was kind of thinking is, is it better? Can you create a better, and what I mean better, is it cleaner, is it sharper, is it, uh, are the colors um, right? Can you create a piece of artwork that's better than the original intention of, of an artist? And I think you can. I but think what about can. the heart and soul of the artist? I mean, you're just completely wiping that out. 
I know it's a very fascinating issue. This has happened before, by the way. This is, there are precedents about this, and it, and it was in the when I was involved in this, this is clay medium, where you take the reproduction of the art, you digitize it, and you produce it. It's not really the artist's work. It is a reproduction of the artist's work that some chromeness went ahead and in a bunch of fields and serographs and lithographs went ahead and decided, well, we're going to do it this way because it looks better. It wasn't, it's not, it's an interpretation of the artwork. So I think part of the answer that we have here is that if you give credit to the, where the, where it came from and you disclose it, I'm a, big believer in disclosing everything. I think you live by disclosure. Disclosure. You disclose that you created it based on this artist or that artist. or Then I think it has more validity than just creating something and, go and saying, this is mine. So, and that kind of works with everything, doesn't it? Um, yeah. When you credit the, the ones that came before you. Now, if you credit the ones that came before you, is it legitimate? Well, we don't know. You, you and, see and so many be... quotes. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a big meme person. I love memes. And you'll see these great quotes that are attributed to, I don't know, Lincoln, you know, President Lincoln. They're not true. You have to really yeah, be careful what true. you take at face value. Yeah. I think that that's, that's going to be one of these issues now. But we've lived through these issues before on different, different ways. It's just a, it's a new issue. Now, what about music? Yeah, I was going to bring I that did up it. I, I just was messing around trying to create a song based on something. And was it my song? No. Uh, but was did it have value? I think we have to look really deep into previous precedences of this type of a scenario and I know there are they're out there because it's happened to me where's the value and um, there is going back to this person um, command uh, what do we call it the other day prompt engineer this oh yeah chat, prompt, chat GPT yeah so, so it's a prompt engineer of the creation and are you a creator? Are, is there value of being a prompt engineer of visual arts? We're uh, going to find out. We're going to find out. There's to a be, lot that's going on that we don't understand. Yeah. We're not going to understand for a while. And I'm going to, and I've said, you've heard me say this before, Tom, be careful. You know, I like ChatGPT, but I'm extremely cautious with it. And I'm my own best fact checker. You have to be. Because this is pulling from information that was on the Internet, I think, before 2021. And you know there's an awful lot of garbage on the Internet. So be really careful. Listen, we are out of time. Tom, is there anything else? I can't believe how fast this went. Is there anything else that you'd like no. to share with our audience before we have to end? Because, And I know that... You do have something, uh, a couple new ventures, so tell me about those very quickly. Well, we have DaVinci.com, which is a, a platform. Right now it's in beta, and it's free. And an artist can upload DaVinci, and I'll spell it as D-V-I-N-C-H-I.com. And it's a platform that artists can load up their digital files 
and <clears throat> show on a wide screen. So you can upload a, a, a somewhat smaller file and put it on a six-foot screen. And in fact, we're going into a direction we're trying to put it on digital screens. And basically, it's a digital it's a digital reproduction of the artwork. You know, is that art? I don't know. So that's something uh, I'm working with. And uh, have a, uh, on LinkedIn, it's holistic hyphen solutions, holisticsolutions.org, and we're working with artists to, to to help them with their legacy. So that's that's another thing. Um, Artman.net is where we uh, our e-commerce site, and anybody can reach me at on LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn for me is is the best way to to approach is it's Tom Allen Binder. Sorry, Denise, to connect you to correct you. It's Binder, but not Binder. Um, I caught that after I'd already said Binder. <laughs> it's okay. It's so in my whole life, it's my whole life. Don't worry about it. I can tell you a story sometime. And or info at artman.net is the email, and uh, the phone number is 800-332-4ART, 800-332-4278. And that's the best way to reach me. Happy to talk to anybody uh, if they have any questions or help them out with their legacy. We've been doing this for a long time. I have answers. I don't know if I have all the answers, but I'm searching for all the answers. Oh, Tom, thank you. It's been really fascinating speaking with you, and I thank you for all of the terrific tips and advice that you've shared with our audience. And before we wrap up today's episode, if you have enjoyed today's episode and found our insights helpful, please leave us a review and rating on iTunes. Your feedback is really helps us improve and reach more people on their own success journey. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Leave a review and share your partner in Success Radio with your friends and colleagues. And look for Tom Binder on LinkedIn. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. Thanks for tuning Tom in. And we will, here you go. Thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you on the next one. Thank you, Denise. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, Contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.